0: Dr. Jason Lancaster.
1: This morning as we cover the entire chapter of 1 Peter 5, I'm going to tell one long story. Rather than have a variety of stories and illustrations, it's going to be one long story and we're going to dip in and out of 1 Peter 5. It's a story I've never told before publicly. It's something that has happened to me in the past, and I'm still processing all the details. It's okay if you don't understand the nuances of the story because the main point is to make 1 Peter 5 come alive. 1 Peter 5 is not just for individuals. It's also intended for churches, the corporate body. And I believe by the time we're done, this text here will really be speaking to your heart on a variety of levels. So here's the long, continuous story throughout the whole sermon. My last church was a multi-ethnic church, which means that people from many nationalities and races make up the church. To set a little bit of context for you, where we lived, uh, the kids, my The school my children went to, my white children were minorities in that school, and my black children were also minorities in that school, to show you that the school was made up of the nations. And the church I was pastoring was becoming increasingly, increasingly more and more multi-ethnic, which is a great thing to praise and worship and to be very excited about. And it was very exciting. It was a very encouraging church. But there are also a variety of tensions and struggles that are experienced in a multi-ethnic church that would not be experienced in a mono-ethnic church. And at one time, I was in the midst of a variety of these issues that were supercharged due to what was going on in our culture politically, and due to what was going on socio-economically in our nation and a variety of relationships. And here's the deal. I was pressed with this tension, all right? It was pressing on me from the outside and I felt this tension from the inside. You ever feel like that? Tension coming on the outside and I felt the tension from the inside and it was really ramped up. One time I was about to preach a sermon. I was going to preach a sermon on Revelation 7. If you're very familiar with Revelation 7, it talks about the multitude from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages worshiping before the throne. And as we will worship together, then I think we should also worship together now. Now I knew that in preaching this sermon, there was a variety of things that were also going on that gave me a a sense of fear and anxiety that may be hard for me to explain to you. But not only was I experiencing fear and anxiety because of what was going on in our culture and also our church, I was also sick in my body. I had a, a variety of ailments going on. So the Sunday finally came, And I got up to preach, and I started, and the main question I was asking was this, what would it look like for our church to be a flourishing, multi-ethnic church? And as soon as I asked that question from the stage, my world crumbled. It's like I imploded. I got dizzy. I couldn't speak. I felt sick. It's like my world was crashing in on me. So I I quickly finished the sermon, and and then I crashed, basically just totally crashed. And what I noticed during that time is very interesting. The breakdown that was happening in my life physically was mimicking the breakdown that was happening in our church spiritually. It's almost as if I could feel in my body the tensions that were going on corporately. It's a very strange experience that I, I cannot fully explain, but I, I was feeling physically what the church was feeling spiritually. It was amazing. Now what I wanna do is I wanna set all of my physical ailments aside the rest of our time together, if that's okay with you. Uh, they lasted for several months. We can go into a really long story about that. Some of that is still lingering today, but it's, it's mainly in my past. But I want to talk about the tensions and challenges within the body of Christ and how the body of Christ processed those and how we lived life together in community, in grace, in mercy, and in love. And now this is extremely important because we as a body right here in Hot Springs Village, Village Bible Church, we are not currently going through, to my knowledge, any certain challenge or any certain trial as a corporate body. But we are not exempt from the struggles and the sufferings and the trials that the churches experience worldwide. And often, trouble and challenges are just lurking around the corner. And so what we want to be is a people who are prepared that when challenges and trials come to our church, we will walk together in community, in grace, and in mercy, and in love. And that's the picture that Peter is giving us in chapter 5. He's wrapping up his letter, and what he's been talking about the whole time is that tension is coming from the outside, attacking the church in a variety of ways, and they're also feeling that internal tension as well as they deal with how they relate to one another, how they care for one another, and how they live in a society that is persecuting and pressing down on them and how they are responding. And now I know that some of you as individuals... Maybe you are here today and you feel pressed externally. Something is pressing in on you. You know what it is. I don't need to know, but you feel that external pressure. And internally, it's just tearing you up and you feel the internal pressure as well. And I believe the word of God is going to speak to you. And we're going to cover three things that may seem unrelated, but they're very much related. And those three things are this. Number one. We're going to talk about overseeing the flock. Number two, conquering anxiety and Satan. And number three, standing firm together. Well, let's start with overseeing the flock and look at first Peter chapter five, verse one. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter is addressing the elders. Elders are to be the leaders of the church. The leader of the church is not one pastor. The leaders of the church are a plurality of elders in which the pastor is also an elder. And Peter here calls himself an elder who saw the sufferings of Christ and waited for his coming and the glory that is to be revealed. And what he's about to do, he's going to lay out a variety of exhortation to the elders. This past Thursday, during our elder meeting, we covered these exhortations. Because as Peter was speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit to the church back then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's still applicable to the church today. So let's look at these exhortations to the elders. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. The first thing elders are supposed to do is shepherd and oversee the flock. Elders are responsible for caring for you. And one of the ways we care for you is we pray for you. We see what's going on in your life. But another way that we shepherd and care and oversee the flock is through teaching you want elders who know the word of God so they can teach the word of God whatever the circumstances are and whatever challenges come your way. You want elders to know the word of God. That's a huge qualification to be an elder in this church and should be any church. And the elders in my last church really stepped up during the challenges and the tensions and they brought some hard teaching to the body of Christ. They brought some teaching from the Old Testament teaching from the New Testament, teaching from the book of Acts. And they really honed in on the teaching on the way the early church dealt with the the Gentiles and the Jewish relations within the body of Christ. And we felt like that spoke deeply to our multi-ethnic tensions. But what you want, no matter what church you go to, if you're just visiting today, you may go look for another church, find a church that has godly elders who shepherd you personally care for you, pray for you, but who know the word of God so they can guard the flock. Not just shepherding and overseeing the flock, but notice also they're to do this voluntarily. Look at verse 2 once again. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Being an elder is not for the faint of heart. If you do not like criticism, if you do not like dealing with problems, never consider being an elder. But notice that it's to be done voluntarily. You're not to be forced into that position. You're not to be guilted into that position. You want to do it voluntarily. You voluntarily want to shepherd the flock. Not only are you to do it voluntarily, you're also to do it in such a way where you're not trying to cash in. Look again into verse 2. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. A key qualification of the elder is that he is to be free from the love of money. The role of the pastor elder is not to be a celebrity, not to cash in, Instead, he's to be eager to serve. In fact, the elder will receive a prize one day. Notice what it says in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the motivation is not money, but Christ and Christ alone. Christ will honor those elders who serve well. And notice also, the elders are not to crush the flock. Look at verse 3. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. We all know stories of elders crushing the flock and, and pushing it down and treating people badly, but that's not to be the case. Elders are to set examples. In fact, the elders are to say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not perfect. None of the elders are perfect. But you want to do what they do as they follow Jesus Christ. Basically, that means we're not just talking, we're walking. In my last church, we weren't just talking about a multi-ethnic church. The elders were attempting to live a flourishing multi-ethnic lives in their relationships, at work, and their neighborhoods, and at home. Because elders are to set the example same goes for this church and the elders in this church and there's coming a time in fact in about two months time where we're going to onboard two new elders let me put up who they are some pictures of gary rowetter and steve masters and these men we believe have a track record of following jesus and we believe they are in line with the elder qualifications outlined in scripture And we encourage you over the next couple of months to get to know them and be praying for them as they consider this joyful and quite heavy opportunity to shepherd and oversee the flock. Be praying for them. But not only are elders to lead, but get this, the body of Christ is to respond appropriately to their leadership. Look at verse 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for god is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble the reference here is to younger men who could point to maybe these are newer converts or perhaps they are actually younger in age and they are to submit to their elders those who are older i'm not sure how that would work out in our church since we're a lot of the same demographic But in our last church, the elders were generally older than our church, which was mainly college students, those in their 20s and in their 30s. The younger ones are to submit in the sense of follow their leadership. As long as they're following Christ, follow them. Be humble in interacting with them. And as that went, for the most part, younger men and women were submissive, did follow the leadership of the elders in humility. Because the elders are there to care. And the elders don't need people constantly bucking up against them and challenging them and and questioning them and and just just pushing against their leadership. Of course the elders are accountable to the congregation, but the elders want to lead in such a way where it is joy and not a burden. And if there's constant bickering and fighting and, and slicing and throwing, that's not fun. We want it to be a joy in our leadership. So that's what's going on among the leadership. But I also want you to notice during this time that Peter is writing, not only do the elders need to oversee the flock, but the body of Christ needs to be conquering anxiety and Satan. And this leads out from humility. Look at verses six and seven. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What's the connection between humility and anxiety? It's been said that some of the most proud people are some of the most anxious people. And the connection is, if you're proud, when you have a problem, you believe that you can handle it and work it out. And when it's not being handled and not being worked out, you become anxious. And the reason why you're becoming anxious is that you are trying to play God. And when you try to play God and fix all your problems, that is going to create a lot of anxieties. Is anybody with me? But the call here is rather than try to play God, it says to, you see it there, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you so so the church is is undergoing a variety of pressure points remember the pressure is coming in from the outside they feel the internal pressure from the inside and rather than try to to figure it out on their own or even quit it says they are specifically to cast their anxieties on the lord because he cares for them i am the last person in the world who should ever be a pastor My anxieties have been so crippling that in third grade, I've mentioned before, I missed about 52 days of school because of anxiety of being around other kids and the bullying, right? And I progressed through junior high and high school, and some of that is still with me where I have this fear of other people and what they may think of me or what they may do to me. So in reality, the last job I should ever take should be a pastor. Because if you're a people-pleasing, anxiety-filled person, you don't want to be a pastor. Right? For whatever reason, I'm a pastor. God called me into this. And as I've been through a variety of seasons of tensions within the church, when I faced this one in my last church, it was crippling. And it's not because people were attacking me in no way, shape, or form did I feel attacked from other people during this time. But I felt like sometimes they were going at each other. And that caused a lot of anxiety and fear within me because I wanted unity among the body of Christ. And when that wasn't there, it's like this crippling anxiety was trying to come out again. And it did rear its head until it started affecting my body. But you know what God says? He says to me, and He says to every one of you, you don't need to carry it. You need to cast it. You don't need to carry it. You need to cast it. You don't need to carry this anxiety, but you can cast it all on Him because the Bible says He cares for you. And if you have a situation right now where there is external pressure and you're like me not responding well because you're creating your own internal pressure to deal with the external pressure, it's pressing in. You want to press out, it's creating a lot of anxiety. You don't have to carry it, you can cast it. You can cast it on your Heavenly Father who cares for you do you believe that do not carry it cast it now if anxiety is not enough within the body of christ we also have to deal with satan the enemy of our souls look what peter says in verse 8. be of sober spirit be on the alert Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We are to be on alert for the attacks of the enemy, the devil, who is pictured here as a ravenous lion just looking to devour you. Well, how does that work? We know in the Bible that that Satan is an accuser, he's a tempter, and he's a deceiver. And he tries to accuse you that maybe you've blown it too much. You're not worth the love of the Father. You've blown it too much. In the other areas, he's a tempter. He's trying to make sin seem enticing and cause you to join in and fall. And he's also a deceiver. He's to trick you in a variety of ways. And this accusing and this tempting and this deceiving can enter the church. I want you to picture for a moment. We're all sitting right here. And in through the back door came a real lion walking down the aisle. You would freak out. You would think that a lion is going to scratch you, attack you, maul you, and kill you, right? You would be on alert. And the word of God says that is what Satan is trying to do. And what a lot of churches do, rather than following the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, they get deceived by the roaring lion, the enemy. And the way that looks like within the body of Christ is that Satan will try to get you as a body to turn on one another. So when you are in a church and the church starts to be divided up into subgroups and it becomes an us versus them you know that the roaring lion has entered but the word of god says that he must be resisted look what it says in verse 9 but resist him but resist him firm in your faith Knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while. The God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. As Satan attacks, we are to resist and stand firm. This is very similar to James 4.7. James 4.7 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You get that? You stand firm by submitting to God, Lord, you can have my entire life. You resist the devil, you have no power of me, Satan. And the devil is said, according to this verse, he will flee from you. And the reason why he will flee Is because we follow one who has eternal dominion and has crushed Satan and will ultimately shut him down. One of the things we don't understand, and it's hard for me to to put it all together, we say, "Well, well, didn't Jesus crush Satan at the cross? And the answer is absolutely. And so if Satan was crushed at the cross, then how can he be the roaring lion that can enter our church and deceive us and accuse us and trick us to sin? How is that possible? Well, here's the theology behind that. Get this. The devil has been defeated at the cross and resurrection of Jesus, but he is still trying to influence us before he is thrown into the lake of fire, spoken of in Revelation 20. And until then, understand this. I want you to understand this. The lion is on a leash. The lion is on a leash. You don't need to fear Him. Do not fear Him. Resist Him. Stand firm. Submit yourself to God. And He will flee, right? And the Bible says this is something we do together. Let's finish up with standing firm together in verse 12. What does that look like? Stand firm together. Through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of god stand firm in it she who is in babylon chosen together with you sends you greetings and so does my son mark greet one another with a kiss of love peace be to you all who are in christ peter wraps up this letter by pointing to silvanus he's either a secretary composing the letter or more of a mailman delivering the letter Either way, Sylvanus is called a faithful brother. And then Peter exhorts them, as you see there, to press on in their suffering, to stand firm in the true grace of God. And he sends greetings from the church in Rome, which is referenced here as she who is in Babylon, as a symbolic indicator of the evil society the church is called to live out her calling. Then he closes by sending a greeting with an appropriate kiss of love and peace be to you all who are in Christ. I want to make sure you get this. When a church, not just individuals, but when a church is pressed from the outside and they feel it, the tension on the inside, they need to stay in close community. They need fellowship, love, and peace to reign over the tensions. You get this? Challenges should not draw us apart but bring us together. And one of the most amazing things that I can testify and witness in my last church, especially in the small groups, is that people who saw things differently would study God's word and pray for one another even as they are working through tensions and difficulty. And one of the most miraculous things that I can say during those initial seasons of challenges is during that time, miraculously, no one left the church. No one. And I'm telling you, if tensions ever come here and you feel it from the outside or the inside, let me encourage this, don't bail. Even right now, if you have some issue with the church or the pastor or somebody, don't run away, don't bail. Have the courage to have challenging conversations that may make you uncomfortable. But whatever you do, if you stay together, stay together in the word. Too many times people have problems with the church that has nothing to do with the Word of God. In fact, sometimes people have problems with the church, any church, and the problem they have is anti-Bible. That's why you've got to stay in the Word of God together. You get that? We don't just stand firm as individuals. We stand firm together. Now you may wonder... If things from my last church were ever fully resolved and healed or fully fixed, I know as human beings we like to wrap things up with a nice bow and act like all is perfect. But just as there's ongoing personal struggles within me, sometimes even within my body, there's also ongoing corporate struggles. But I want to tell you this, that church is intact. That church is flourishing. And the reason why is because amazing elders... Godly people, serious about the word, serious about love, and serious about unity. And I want the same to be said for VBC that no matter what comes our way, the lion may come in here, try to attack us, no matter whatever may happen to us, may it be said that we have amazing elders, we have godly people, we're serious about the word, We're serious about love, and we're serious about unity. So no matter what comes our way, we are going to stand firm in the true grace of God, and we are going to continue to look to the one who has dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way guided by God's Word.